Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. You know what? I'm left-handed. I kind of marched to the tune of my own drum. When my parents were young, my father was a school teacher. My mother was a nurse. I was the fourth of five children. And they were poor on money, but they were wealthy on love. And I think I had the greatest childhood ever. And my mom and dad always taught me that I can do anything in the world that I want as long as I'm willing to work hard enough at it. So I was never given anything like any, you know, handout or any gift or any large sums of money. I had to, as an underdog, earn everything myself. And so I've just kept that underdog mentality and that spirit, you know, with me of self-confidence and self-esteem. And I trace it back to my family roots. I had a blessing, a wonderful, wonderful, loving family. And I'm so grateful. And to this day, I, I still think of all of the things that I learned from my father who passed five years ago. And uh, I'm just blown away as to what I learned from him. Not so much about what he said, but what he did. So yeah, I think that's kind of more about my background. Excellent. And you know, what, what a wonderful way to be brought up and given us the sense of for you can have what you want. You can succeed in what you want to do, but you're going to have to work for it. And I think that's, that's a great uh, way to be brought up. And I think that sense of things, and, and that was my upbringing as well, where mum and dad were working long hours in cafes and so forth. And even after school, we were there at the cafe at a young age, school holidays, weekends. But I don't know about you, but I think for me, and this, this could be relevant for you, it taught me about work ethic. And is that, could you resonate with that? Well, I think my mother, in, my mother in the eighth grade, she said, Patrick, I'm working the afternoon shift at the hospital. She was in the, worked in the nursery helping deliver babies and care for babies. And she said, you know, I don't have time to do your laundry anymore. So this is how you use a washing machine and this is how you use a dryer. So if you want clean clothes, and it's okay if you wear your dirty clothes, but if you want clean clothes, then this is how you use the washer and dryer. And so I learned how to, you know, care for my clothing at an early age. And then they wouldn't give me any money. They gave me lunch money. And the way that I earned my lunch money was by doing chores. And so I learned at a very young age, I started shoveling snow in the winter to make money to you know, pay for what I wanted. I soon started delivering newspaper uh, deliveries for the USA Today and also the Detroit Free Press. And then uh, after doing that, I, I mean, maybe in, it was in the eighth grade, I started selling Detroit Free Press subscriptions door to door. And I remember like in 1983, making $80, $90, $100 per night US, you know, just selling Detroit Free Press subscriptions. I'd make a $1, I'd get a, you know, on a, on a Sunday subscription, I'd get a $1 commission. On a daily, I'd get a $2. And if I sold somebody a daily and a Sunday, I got a $3 commission. So I did that for about a year and I made tons of extra money. And then my, you know, grade 10 in high school, 
I went to work at a restaurant and they paid me $3.35 an hour, which was minimum wage back then. Wow. And I thought to myself, I'm trading an hour of my time for $3.35. And when I went knocking door to door to door selling, you know, newspaper subscriptions, I'd make $50, $60 an hour. And so at that point, I learned that to, to create wealth, you did it by being an, a business owner, a sales professional, an entrepreneur not working for the man and trading time for dollars. And so yeah. that was a great lesson I learned early on in life. Oh, that's awesome. Fantastic lessons in that. Yeah. And so how did you get into leadership? You know, I've never really viewed myself as like someone trying to become a leader or someone who's looking behind me to find out who is following me because I could care less if people are following me or not. And there's a lot of leaders out there that are constantly counting their fans. They want to know how many fans they have, how many uh -huh. followers they have on social media. I could care less about any of that. That means nothing to me. But I think it started for me um, as an athlete, you know, playing youth sports. I played American football, um, basketball, tennis, baseball. And some of my coaches, they pushed me harder than ever. And I'm like, wait a minute, why are you making me run harder than everybody else? Why? why? And they're like, you're the captain of the team. And as the captain, you got to be in the best shape. And we're going to push you harder than everybody. And you can take it. And these other kids can't take it. And so for me, leadership got started in youth sports. I was pretty much always the captain of every team. And maybe it's because I'm full of passion. Maybe it's because I never give up. Maybe because I, you know, prepare and I'm mentally strong in a good way. I'm full of uh, zest and zeal for life. And uh, I think people just followed me athletically. And that kind of led me down this path in personal growth and development. So am I a leader? I think I'm a leader of my own life. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of self-leadership, but I've not been one that's, you know, worked for the big Fortune 500 company and had an organizational development chart where I had 200 people report to me. I've always been the guy that's like, you know what? I can do it better than these guys. I don't need this day job. I quit my job 18 years ago to be a full-time entrepreneur. And maybe it's because I'm unemployable because the people that were always my bosses or my superiors, I looked at them and like, who are they? You know, I can do it better myself. So from a leader, I think my skill set is based on self-leadership and discipline and that people will naturally follow that. But I don't have the background of being like a vice president of sales and having like 500 employees follow me. That doesn't interest me at all. Well, no, what, what you're talking about is a title. That's that's uh, leadership is you're a leader in the industry. You're a leader as a coach, as a, as a mentor, yeah. as a speaker. You're a leader in that industry, right? What you're talking about is being a vice president. That's a title. There's so many vice presidents or people I know with those titles, they're managers, they're not real leaders. So what you have done and what you continue to do in the industry is leadership. And so um, you're leading right. from the front. You bring up a good point. I remember after I, I graduated from University of Montana, I was in corporate sales in Seattle for many, many years. And I had this idea. I gave like 300 speeches and I couldn't get paid to save my life. I got free breakfast and free lunch and free dinner, free pens and free mug. And finally being a Christian, I had to come to Jesus talk. And it's like, what am I doing wrong here? Why can't I make it in this industry? And the answer I got back was, if you want what others have, you must do what others have done and you'll get what others have gotten. And so I looked at my mentors, people like, you know, Les Brown and Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and Dr. Stephen Covey and Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra, Tony Robbins, and they all had successfully written and published a book. So I was at a crossroads in my life and I was either A, going to go back to school and get a master's in business administration or get an MBA, or I was going to write a book. And I remember that crux of that decision, which do I do? Which do I do? And I wanted to speak and speak and speak. And so finally I decided, you know what? 
if I go get an MBA and get an advanced degree, I'm still reliant on having an organization hire me so I can earn a paycheck to provide for my family. But if I go learn how to fish for myself as an author, as a speaker, as an entrepreneur, then I'll never have to work another day of my life. And the reason why I say this, and I certainly don't want to knock anybody with higher education because I believe that education is one of the greatest investments that we can make, but I can't tell you how many people I've known over the years that are 30, 40, 50 years old and they have these PhDs and MBAs and they come to me like, Patrick, who do you know that I can get a job? I just got laid off. I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. I don't have an income source. And my answer is, I don't know. I haven't worked in 18 years. What are you talking about? But the point of it is a lot of people in academia, they never learn how to fish for themselves. So they're reliant on the organization to provide them fish on payday. And I think that's a dangerous trap to get into. So your point on leadership, I think leadership is about your ability to provide for your family and your loved ones without being dependent on the success of an organization. So that's a a good point you brought up. Awesome. Beautiful. Just love the way that you've actually shared that as well in that story too. So yeah, I mean, write a book that will get you out there, which is one great thing to do. We're going to an MBA, totally up to you. Nothing wrong being in academia and also writing things and getting those degrees. It's what you do with it. It's what you, how you, you go about with things as well, which is interesting. So Patrick, here's a question for you. And that is now this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? I think I have maybe three favorite leaders. Uh-huh. Uh, my father, Jack Snow, was my best friend, my mentor, my rock. And as a young man, I watched him love and serve our family. And he taught me as a young man, he said, Patrick, family is the most important thing in the world. And you need to fight like hell always and forever to protect your family emotionally, financially, in every way that you can. And the love that he gave me and our family was incredible. So from a leadership standpoint, from a family, I would say it's my father, Jack Snow. Um, I don't really want to get into politics much because that subject kind of drives me crazy. But I'm also a big, huge fan of President John F. Kennedy and how John F. Kennedy did his own thing. You know, like the issue with he could care less about, the, you know, the Federal Reserve, about the secret societies, about all of that. He could care less about maybe lobbyists or trying to be bought as a president. He did what he felt what was right for the United States at that time. And obviously, maybe because of that, uh, perhaps, you know, he was assassinated for that. But he still, still stayed true to his beliefs. And probably a third uh, leader that I love is Nelson Mandela. And I think Nelson Mandela is the epiphany of unconditional love, of forgiveness. And when I saw the movie Invictus, you get to see the firsthand story of, you know, how he was after 27 years of illegally and immorally and unethically being imprisoned. He came out of prison with a, a forgiving heart. And he said, if I didn't leave that behind in that cage, in that jail cell, it would have haunted me forever. So he came out and he embraced, you know, both sides. He embraced, you know, the whites, the blacks. He embraced the Springbok rugby team. And I think as a result of that, he maybe prevented civil war and maybe saved millions of people's lives and ultimately became the president of South Africa. And I think he's one of the greatest leaders of our time. So those are are three people that I really admire in that way. Yeah, great, great, great list of people. And um, I think, you know, the one you say about family is really important. Uh, that's really, really important. Nelson Mandela, when you shared that as well about the film Invictus, I think it's a beautiful film. And uh, 
I've actually facilitated some workshops using some of that material, some of the things that they're in that film. For a New Zealander, that's a hard film to watch because that's when the All Blacks lost the World Cup, right, to, to <laughs> South Africa. But thanks for mentioning that. Um, but yeah, the thing, I didn't want to rub it in. Yeah, yeah. But I think the, the story that's in the film, right, about Nelson Mandela and about his leadership and about what he's done, and that, it was a beautiful story. And if um, listeners, if you haven't seen that film Invictus, I highly recommend it. I know Patrick will agree as well. Highly recommend that you go and get that film and you check it out because the messaging, the story is just beautiful to watch. And uh, I think you'll learn a lot from it. Uh, he is all about forgiveness, all about unconditional love, all about inclusion, all about doing what's right for the country, you know, and all about letting go of the past. And uh, a beautiful man. What an incredible soul. So you're in, uh, in, in the U.S. right now, and um, your seasons and, and, and my season are a little bit different from different parts of the world. We're in summer, and so I'm sitting here a little bit sweating a little bit, and you are in winter. Is that right? Yes. I'm slightly jealous, Dennis, just because it is cold. It's a little dreary and rainy today. I'd much rather be in warm temperatures in my kayak. <laughs> yeah, fair. Oh, yeah, true. In the kayak, yeah. <laughs> Hey, so if I've done an introduction about you, is there anything else around your background that'd be quite interesting to our listeners? Anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, so I'm a native Virginian. I'm about uh, hours south of D.C. I'm originally from Norfolk area and Hampton Roads area, so I've always been in this area. Um, but one of the things I love is the four seasons that we have. But my, my background, I wasn't expecting it to go this way. But in my early 20s, I became a financial analyst for an amazing boss who ended up becoming my father-in-law. And I was a government contractor in D.C. I did that crazy commute. Literally, I was about three hours on the road every day. And I supported the Navy. And then later on, the Marine Corps. And I did it on the foreign military sales program. So and this is, think of it as a different kind of financial position. It's not like crunching numbers all the time, what we think is finance or banking. But it was more liquidating, unused funds from really old and dusty contracts that were in warehouses so they could turn around and use them for other projects. Uh, and I was also responsible for making sure items on the programs that were ordered got to their destination and contract correctly closed. So that's a little bit about my background. Excellent. You've got some rescue dogs. How many do you have? Yeah, so I have two lab rescues. Um, they're, they're kind of boiled <laughs> And then yeah, yeah. last year, I rescued a horse. He's amazing. I've always wanted a horse and never thought I would actually have one, but he's, he's kind of been my therapy horse during COVID. That's excellent, Barbara. And, and tell me, so how did you get into leadership? Yes, it was unexpected. And when it happened, I had taken a year off my current role to homeschool my youngest son. He had been struggling at school. We had tried just about everything. We tried public school, private school. And he, it was a situation, he was highly intelligent, but for some reason he had a learning gap. So I opted to teach him at home. And honestly, it was the first time I had been out of that long DC commute. And I started to take a long, hard look at my life. And I asked myself if I wanted to go back to what I was doing. And it was a great paycheck, but it was not internally fulfilling for me. And one of my values, I, it's ironic because one of my values is peace. And one of the programs I was working for was a missile program. So tell me if that isn't 
misaligned or are not. So I opted not to go back to my current position. It was probably the scariest step I had ever taken, but I always wondered if there was something more to life. And about that time, my husband had joined a leadership development organization to grow his own leadership. And I just decided to be part of it, mostly because he was meeting some pretty awesome people. In fact, that's where I met you, Dennis. And I decided, you know, until I figured out a new path, I would focus on developing my leadership and communication skills. And I fell in love with coaching and realized I was already using those skills. And I naturally loved to listen and ask questions. So it, it made perfect sense to me. Yeah, wonderful. And yeah, it was great. I mean, we, I think, I don't know, it's probably what, eight, nine years ago is when we met? Yes, I believe. Yeah, fun. yeah fantastic. Barbara, um, well, so this person can be alive or from history. Uh, and the question here is, who, who's your favorite leader and why? Yeah. So there, there's many people that I admire out there, and we could probably spend a couple hours talking. But I have to say, in recent years, it's been Dr. Daniel Amen. He is a brain specialist and a double board psychologist. And I think of him as sort of a maverick in his field because um, he doesn't just view brain health as physical, but as part of everything we do uh, to the point where his lens is brains run the world. They run the stock market, businesses, churches, government. And if our brain is healthy and working right, we're likely to be successful. And if it's not working as well, it impacts our decisions, our focus, our relationship, judgment, and character. So he's on this mission to create a brain health revolution to empower leaders so they can have greater success. And, and I was struggling in the areas of focus and attention, and he ended, to, ended up impacting my brain. And so I was able to experience that at a personal level so I can do my own stuff greater. And that's why you're now an Amin uh, Clinic brain health coach, is that right? Yes, I decided to tie in the personal development, leadership and brain health because there's so many things that we can do that are brain-based to make our life and our work a little bit easier. Yeah, excellent. You you and, and my partner, Mary, should get together and have a good chat because uh, she's been doing a master's in neuroscience and uh, she's known as the neuro change coach. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, for you two to catch up for sure. So yeah, that. great. Yeah, that's a great example of uh, of somebody who's the brain runs the world. I like that. That's that's fantastic. Hey, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. And when I say that statement or the title of the show, what what does that mean to you? Yeah. That's such an important topic anytime, especially now. I I feel like for me, that means that I need to be in tune with what is changing. And not only what is changing, but how am I going to respond to those changes? Because if I wait and do nothing, I'm not meeting the need and demand out there. Um, there's a term I've been hearing more often, and it's called cognitive flexibility. And it's the ability to be flexible to the change, what you're thinking about, how you're thinking about it, and even what you think about it. In other words, it's the ability to change your mind, but also your approaches. And cognitive flexibility is required in many, many ways throughout the workday and in leadership. Yep. Okay. So that's, it's really important. I mean, the brain is so powerful and then the brain is also so important in the sense that 
we as leaders, we've all got brains. Um, and so we need to use them, but also understand where we're at with things at times. And I like what you say there in the relation to actually the way that we respond to change and the way we do it. Because Barbara, what I talk about is that, you know, there is a lot of things that are happening and change and it's out of our control, but there are two things that are in our control. One is our attitude and the way we react to it. So that's what you're talking about. And number two would be where we are going next. And uh, I think they're already important things for, for us to talk about. So I really like what you just shared there. Yes. And, and what they found is leaders who do exhibit this cognitive flexibility straight, they can handle those transitions more easily. Not that they're easy, but they can move through them. They can shift between tasks a little bit more in stride and apply learning in one area for greater problem solving. And would they also be able to, uh, is that, that word out there, adapt, pivot, whatever you want to call it, are they able to do that quicker than others? Uh, yes, and and they have a different view. And so they can apply this to decision-making and as well as communication within a team, but also transfer those skills and help them become more aware of how to be more flexible. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 